Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. An encore episode, episode 109. Why is our kid being so mean to us? This week, we present an encore episode that originally ran at the end of May in season two, just before the start of summer. I can't shake this feeling of exhaustion all the time. I can't even say the word exhaustion. <laughs> I'm so exhausted. Rena, I laid down at 6.15 yesterday afternoon. You did? Yeah, in the evening. Which, and I never you do never that. never do that. And no. I just couldn't get it together. So I just I was like, I'm going to go lay down. <laughs> well, why? I, I just don't know. It's like my, my brain is constantly on all the time thinking about how to do what to cook for dinner. Or did we clean up this? I've got to finish this for the company. What? I, I just like, how do we reset that sometimes? Well, I think summer will help. And, and one of the sayings in schools that I think is really helpful is the idea of 100 days of May. You know, it's almost like the winter holiday in terms of like all the extra demands. But you know, there's just so much stuff you have to do to get kids out of the school year and get kids into the summer. And so I think part of the exhaustion I'm feeling is like the double life quality of it. I'm trying mm -hmm. to help them close down and go to all these events for the end of the school year, which are lovely, while also doing all of this negotiating around, you know, how we're spending the summer, who's where, what are we doing? And and then, of course, like our jobs <laughs> on yeah, top of that. No. <laughs> so this is just a very... Um, Honestly, the word that comes to mind is tedious time. Mm. It's a tedious time, Rena. It is. You're right. And it's a good way of looking at it. Uh, on top of being exhausted, all of us feel that sense of exhaustion and like my brain isn't fully functioning. What do you do when your kids are so mean and you have very little patience? This was a letter we got from a parent who asks about that and says, Dear Dr. Lisa and Rena, my 10 and a half year old daughter is getting so mean. She's in the fourth grade. Why is she already acting like a hormonal teenager? 
It's worse when she's tired, but is this age-appropriate behavior or is she just mean? She called my husband and I idiots last night and just trying to figure out what the right consequences are and how to combat that feeling like a sudden change in behavior. It only happens at home, which is definitely her safe space. Nothing environmental seems to be wrong. And isn't she too young for hormonal changes? So what's up? Thank you. Oh my gosh, there's so much to this letter. (laughs) Well, and the writer helps us out a lot by just saying everything's fine, right? You know, because of course that's the first question that we'd wonder, is there something wrong? Is there something amiss? And the writer's like, nope, there is mm-hmm. no environmental explanation for what's going on. Like, things are normal. So, uh, so where do, should we start? Yeah. So how do you respond about that behavior in the moment? Because that's what's so hard, right? Yeah, well, if your kid calls you an idiot, <laughs> which <laughs> it sounds like that did, um, it's kind of hard to not have a knee-jerk reaction to that. I just, I just want to say any parent who has responded quickly and harshly to that certainly has my sympathies. And I actually, you know, there's there's lines we cannot cross, but I actually think it's okay when kids are so out of bounds to be like, whoa, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. like you don't use those words around here yeah. or anywhere really. And, and, you know, so much of what I think about as I listen to this letter is parents are teachers and we teach kids how they're supposed to operate in the world. And you know, the, the rule that we have to live by, Rena, is no one is going to think our kids are as cute as we think our kids are, <laughs> right? And so we cannot allow them to conduct themselves at home in ways that would be totally unacceptable in the outside world. And we're not doing them any favors if we do. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of home life is training ground for developing the successful repertoires or developing the repertoires that are going to let kids be successful in the outside world. And so, you know, not reacting strongly to a kid calling you an idiot is um, not doing that kid a favor. Mm. So how do you even, sometimes you want to make sense of that behavior. How do you make sense of it? Because you're always wondering as a parent, where is this coming from? Yeah. So your kid calls you an idiot. I think it's really okay to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that is totally over the line. Like, why don't you just take a break, cool off. We're not even having a conversation if you're Mm going to talk to me like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I really think it's important. And I think the thing that parents want to check is, um, where did that even come from? Like, exactly what you're saying. Like, why did your kid do that? And there's a lot of reasons a kid could do that. And one of the ways we always want to approach these things in terms of something that deserves a reaction, and this definitely deserves a reaction, is to be, you know, I'm going to use this term liberally, like kind of diagnostic about it. You know, what does that, that mean? Like, there's a problem to be fixed, but you can't fix the problem until you diagnose the problem correctly, right? Like, first you diagnose it, and then you come up with a treatment for it. So, in terms of possible diagnoses <laughs> for why a kid is suddenly firing off terms like, you guys are idiots, right? So one is the kid's exhausted yeah, and um, cranky and their impulses are strong and their controls are weak and they were mad at the parent, which is totally fine. Kids get mad at the parent. But because they are, the term we use around our house is ropey, like at the end of their mm. rope, like, you know, because mm-hmm. the kind of, they're all ropey, they're all tired. Mm. They said something that was totally out of line. So that's one diagnosis. 
the treatment for that would be like, okay, we do not talk that way. And also you need to go to bed <laughs> at eight o'clock tonight and for the next four nights. You know, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. one thing to do it. Another diagnosis could be, and I've had this, I've seen this. Sometimes kids start watching really rude TV. Yes. Have you ever oh seen my this gosh. Yes, I know that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then you know this behavior, exactly where it came from. Yeah. And like... Yeah. I've had this happen as a parent. Like, yeah. some, like I'll come around the corner and there's stuff that I'm, they're watching, and I'm like, "What is that? Like, that's totally out of line." Yeah. And I have known in families where kids watching a fair bit of those kind of snarky, um, you know, kind of sardonic, um, just kind of nasty mm-hmm. in a way. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's supposed to be funny. It's not funny where they're watching a lot of that, and then it does start to kind of seep into how they are acting. Yes. And so if that's the diagnosis, I think it's like, okay, you're not watching that stuff anymore. You know, Mm. like I'm knocking you back to PBS. (laughs) You're you're PBS only for three weeks or whatever. Because you can't watch that and keep a filter between what you're watching and how you act. You know, so that's another. You know, fourth grade. I'm thinking about like at that age, they just think it's funny and don't know it's not inappropriate, or you can't talk to adults like that, right? So in the moment, what do you say to them to get through that? What you're watching on TV is not appropriate behavior. Yeah, I think I think it really does help if you can say we do not speak this way in this house, and you know that. I think that it's really important for parents to set the standard for how we speak to one another at home. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't work, Rena, if parents sometimes devolve to name calling, even if they never do it to a child, but just do it with a, you know, with their spouse, you know, or their partner. Yeah. Like, you have to really, you know, the, the thing you should be able to fall back on is, we don't do that here. Like, and you've never seen that done here. So you can't do it here. And so then I would say if a parent's like, ugh, you know, maybe I can't say that. Maybe I've gotten really hot and said things I didn't mean to say. Mm-hmm. Then I think the parent needs to be able to say to that child, you know what? I know you've heard name calling sometimes from the adults, and that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, we may not appreciate that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But now that I hear you do it, and I realize you may have learned that from us, we need to reset. Like, that is really not an acceptable way to be with anyone. Mm. Wow. That's one of the big things I've always taken away from this podcast is admitting to your child when you are wrong or your behavior is wrong and how valuable that can be for them to hear that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to throw a third diagnosis on the table here, which is that these are words being thrown around at school or this is how kids are treating one another at school. You know, presumably... At recess, you know, at lunch when people, you know, when adults can't keep a close eye on things. And so after shutting down the behavior, after saying, like, that's totally unacceptable, like, do not speak to me that way, I think it might be worth going back and revisiting that possibility, especially if you know it's not because your kid's tired, it's not because they're watching, you know, Mm -hmm. snarky TV. Mm -hmm. I think it might be worth going back and saying, you know, where did that even come from? Like, we don't even use that word. Like, is that something that, like, kids are saying on the playground? Is it something kids have said to you, right? Where Where is this from? Wow, I hadn't even thought of that. That's so good. Yeah, because 
it is strange as a parent where you're like, what is this? <laughs> and I think it gets at a dynamic that it's sort of interesting. I don't feel like this has come up between us before, and it's a really important dynamic in parenting, which is that sometimes kids will communicate how they're feeling or how something felt by making the parent have the feeling. Wow. Yeah, and it's like subtle and it's unconscious. And I'll tell you a really um, a really good example from my clinical practice mm-hmm. that just you know brings it so much to life. So I was actually doing parent coaching for a mom who, you know, great mom, great kids. But the mom came in and she confessed that she was finding her kindergartner to be incredibly annoying. <laughs> she was like, I feel really bad. She's like, I love my kid. But right now, I'm not always liking my kid. And and I was so glad she could just say those words because I think that's an experience parents have. Like, yeah, totally. unconditional love, yeah. sometimes conditional like. It's <laughs> <You know? laughs> so good. And so she was like, my kid's just being annoying. Like, I get her home from school after kindergarten, and, like, she's just kind of irritating to mm-hmm. be around. Mm-hmm. And so the mom and I unpacked this for a while. And what we theorized, and then our theory seemed to be borne out by success in our intervention, what we theorized is that it was very annoying for the kid to do full-day school. Oh, it was, like, too um, much. It was too much. And and not that the kid couldn't handle it. Like, it was worth staying in. But for this particular child, and this is an altogether rare, the full school day was new in kindergarten. Like, all the preschool stuff had been part day, half day, you know, and kind of in that weighed-in sort of way. But so to be at school all day, around peers all day, which is really challenging. We have to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought, I thought maybe this is more taxing on this child than we're appreciating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my guidance to the mom, I said, when you go home, you know, when your kid comes home and she starts being really annoying, <laughs> say to her, I'm wondering if being at school all day with all your friends, even though there's a lot you like, I'm wondering if it's annoying to be around people all oh. day long at school. Interesting. So the mom did this and came and reported back. And the kid was like, it is. Wow, <laughs> like, interesting. And then they talked about that way in which it's very, very tedious yeah. to be back to that word tedious. Yeah, yeah. To have to accommodate oneself all day to the demands of other children who really can be annoying, even though they're all wonderful kids, but all day, every day can be a lot. And that this child at, you know, at five, understandably, did not have the fluency to come back home and be like, Mom, I got to tell you, like, this is a lot of annoying kids. (sighs) And so the way it was playing out is that the child was being very irritating herself And once they could move it to the plane of discussing it as the child's experience, the child no longer needed to inflict it on the parent to express the experience. So I do wonder, you know, with this kid being mean, right? Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, one diagnosis for us to consider here is, is the kid giving the parent a taste of what the kid is being served all day. Hadn't thought of that. Boy, Lisa, I want to also ask you about hormones. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the other side of this break. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. 
EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. So I'm really starting to feel it in my mid-40s, just how much stress, hormone fluctuation, and the lack of sleep can really affect the way your skin looks, from dry skin to dark spots and acne. This is why I love One Skin. They can really help. They've got a simple skincare routine that tackles skin issues at the cellular level. I love that this is an all-women team of scientists. One Skin's developed a proprietary peptide called OS1 that's scientifically validated to actually improve the health of your skin beneath the surface. No irritation, no complicated multi-step routine. It's so simple. I really have felt the difference in how my face looks after using this product. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company by focusing on the cellular aspect of aging. One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. So get started today. Try it out with 15% off using the code ASKLISA at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code ASKLISA. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them the Ask Lisa podcast sent you. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. We're talking about why our kids can be so mean to us. So I said, I'm just kind of curious about how can you tell if this is hormonal, right? Because fourth grade, couldn't it possibly be when hormones are starting to kick in? Well, actually it could, right? So the letter writer's like, this is too early. She's not a teenager yet. Why is she being so snarky? But, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this podcast is, number one, adolescence begins at 11. So this kid is not, you know, off the mark by any measure. And truly, Rena, even if there's not outwardly visible signs, a lot of kids, and especially girls, have pubertal activity and hormonal changes certainly afoot by 10 and a half, which is young and, you know, in its own way alarming. But that mm-hmm. is actually pretty much the norm. But the piece about hormones that um, we want to be thoughtful about is 
Everybody blames hormones. <laughs> and they blame <laughs> testosterone on boys and they blame, you know, blame hormones on girls, estrogen on girls for this emotionality. But when we do studies, and we really have this kind of neat way that we study these things where we follow along with sort of mood, you know, and moodiness. Yeah. And we yeah. like quite literally have kids spit in cups so we can measure their hormones what? in the moment. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Is that available over the counter for parents? Well, I, well, here's what you're, I'll tell you why you're not going to need it. Because it turns out that there's actually very little correlation between hormone levels in saliva. So like in the moment hormone levels and the emotionality of the child. Huh. So... Hormones kind of get unfairly blamed in a way. Mm. But the way they're not unfairly blamed is they are dra- driving neurological changes. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of correct and it's kind of not correct to blame, hor- blame hormones. It also, <laughs> you probably don't want to say it to your kid in the same way that like you would never say to your wife, like, you're about to get your period. <laughs> like, yes. that would be oh, like totally. Drives me nuts. Yes. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> so we wouldn't say that to a kid. So... The bottom line, this is a very round-the-way answer, is it probably is a neurological change driven by hormones that is making this child more more emotional. So that diagnosis, I think we can go ahead and make that one, though there may be other, you know, this may be a couple diagnoses at play here. And the reality is, on the way into adolescence, kids just become more emotional. Their emotions are more supercharged. They're more intense. Mm -hmm. Their ability to stop themselves from doing impulsive things is relatively weak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the reassurance I can offer this writer is that it tends to peak, especially for girls, around 13 and for boys around 14. That it comes out of the gate fast. It peaks early in adolescence. Mm. And then emotionality it's, it's actually kind of amazing to look at the charts. Like, it goes down in a very steep line. And so 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds tend to be much steadier, much easier, easier going, much less reactive. So um, what I would say to this parent is, okay, you're in it. <laughs> you're underway with it. You're going to have to draw lines. You're going to yeah. have to try to diagnose the problem and treat it accordingly. But it's not going to be um, full blast for very long. Okay. Okay, that's really nice to hear. Um, if you know it's hormones, how can you best deal in the moment with that? Like if you know to yourself this has got to be hormonal changes. Yeah, right. Like this, there's something that the kid can't control. Yes. You know, at work here. You know, it, it takes us back. I love the way themes emerge in our podcasts, you know, over mm-hmm, a, a number mm-hmm. of different questions. Like we'll come back to some central ideas. I think it really takes us back to that idea of giving kids another chance, not reacting too strongly to anything, you know, not, not, you know, basically cornering them when they've maybe done something they didn't mean to do. Um, So I think if we're like, you know, it's very clear that there's a lot going on and, you know, and it's often, it's not unusual for parents even to see like a surge in this kind of behavior just as they're watching a whole lot of pimples break out across their kid's mm-hmm. nose and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe breast buds. Like, like you can, like, there's moments in parenting where you're like, I know what's happening. Here. Right. Like, I can see it all at once. And so I think in those moments, what we want to remember is there's a part of the kid that is acting badly and acting in ways that are out of control. And there's always, always, always another part of the kid that's like, what was that? 
Like, what did I just do? And, you know, my probably number one rule in parenting through adolescence especially is that we have to remember these two sides of our children live, you know, together. And the side of our child that we speak to is the side that shows up for the conversation. So you're saying if you're snapping at them because they're so rude and mean to you, they're going to keep exhibiting that behavior over and over again. Exactly. You're basically engaging the worst side. Mm. And so then the alternative is, you know, the kid says, you guys are idiots, right? And so the first thing you do is you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Like, stop right there. And then you let it cool off. And I think that's actually really key. And I'm sort of, I don't want to blow past that. You need to let things cool down. Like, the kid who just said that, you know, they were dysregulated. They were having a moment where their, you know, impulses were really, really powerful. Let that settle. You know, say to them, I can't take let a that moment. settle. I'm yeah. so angry with them, Lisa, at that point, And I want to deal with it right away. I want them to know they can't do that to me. And I don't have time to wait to cool off. I know, but... It only works better if you do, but you can deal with it right away by saying, like, stop, like, don't do that. But let it cool off, but then come back and say, what was that? And and when you say, what was that? You're talking to the part of the kid that's like, I don't know what that was. Like, that freaked me out, too. And so all through parenting adolescence, we are constantly aligning ourselves with the thoughtful, broad-minded um kind part of our kids that is really, really there. So I'd almost say to this parent, like, first of all, welcome to parenting a teenager. Like, (laughs) let's just like, let's just name it for what it is. Yeah. And welcome to your new alliance with the better part of your kid. And you're going to ally with this side. You're going to be, you know, tight with this side to try to help them make sense of when they're doing things that are mean or dumb or, you know, just thoughtless. But you're not going to treat your child as though they are mean or dumb or oh, thoughtless. That is so hard. When you say cool off period, like, what, what do, I, do I give them like a day? Do I say, hey, listen, I know you're not in a good place. I'm going to let you cool off and then I'll give you five minutes and we'll talk about this. I think I would do it this way. I think I would say to them, that was totally out of line. We do not speak that way. Why don't you give yourself a little time away and you come back when you're ready to have this conversation because we do need to have this conversation. So I would put it on the child to pull themselves together for however long they need to. Also making it clear you're not off the hook. Mm. (laughs) We're having this conversation. But they can still control like when we have that conversation. Boy, that is not how I have been doing that in my house. (laughs) Which explains a lot. Well, and I'm sure it's not how I've been doing it, Rena. Like, I think it's all very, you know, it's easy in theory. Like, then there's the actual, like, real-life versions of these stories. Oh, my gosh. I just, it's so hard, even as an adult, or maybe I should say especially as an adult, too, um, not to react in that moment when you feel so disrespected. And like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, our patience is so low at this point, and we are all exhausted. Well, that is exactly it, Rena. And, and I think, you know, I've been thinking a lot about normal development. Mm-hmm. And normal development is a bumpy road. Like, there's no getting around that. You know, with or without a global pandemic, normal development is a bumpy road. And here we are all driving down this bumpy road as families, totally worn down. 
right? Yeah. We we are yeah. just worn down by the conditions of the last two years. And what it reminds me of, like the visual I get a lot, is like we're going down the typical bumpy road of adolescence, and we're in one of those really cool looking jeeps with no shocks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like the open ones yep. that are like so awesome. Totally. And so everything that happens just rattles us. And so we have to acknowledge that. We have to be tender with ourselves. We have to be tender with our kids because there's no version of the developmental story where it's a smooth road. Like that's not available to us and doesn't need to be. But anything we can do to try to get our shocks back (laughs) so Mm. that every bump doesn't, you know, shake our bones, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. the better we'll feel. So in the last couple minutes we have here, how do you create a safe space at home where kids can actually let their hair down and you don't feel triggered by the meanness they say, but you can sort of allow a place where they can exhibit that behavior and not feel like they're going to be completely taken down? Well, so it's interesting, right? Like, I love the way this parent asks, like, should home be a safe space? And the answer to that is yes. But I want us to say, like, for what? So it shouldn't be a safe space for acting like a jerk. Like, that to me feels really clear. And okay. and it really goes back to that principle of home is where we teach kids how they're supposed to conduct themselves in the world. And so you don't get to be a jerk at home. Like, I just, I, that feels to me really, like, central. But it can be a safe space for things like talking about how annoying classmates are. And, and venting that out and being able to do so freely, knowing that this is what we only do at home, and we actually do it in the service of being able to go back to school and be a polite citizen there. Mm. So I think that's the kind of safe space I want us to make available to kids. Or, you know, I will say, certainly in my own home, we do a lot of joking around about stuff that is sort of you know, mildly inappropriate uh-huh. <laughs> in uh-huh. our home, uh-huh. you know, and and it's fun and it's a little naughty, but, you know, it's the kind of jokes I would not actually want my kids making with, um, you know, people outside of our home. Yes. And sometimes yes. I'll be like, you know, yeah. we only joke about this kind of stuff here, right? And it's, yeah. you know, it's silly stuff. And, yeah. um, and that way of just being playful and enjoying each other with a clear sense of like, this is how we have fun together, but we have a clear sense of where this does and doesn't happen. So I think in that way, like kids don't have to be in formal dress at home. You know, they can be in their casual clothing version of themselves, but they don't get to mistreat anyone and they shouldn't be mistreated. Like that to me feels like a line that never gets crossed. Mm -hmm. So, um, Wow. Like when I tape these podcasts with you and I realize I've got to really rethink things on how I respond. Um, But what do you have for us, Lisa, for parenting to go? When I talk about us as parents using our behavior to set a standard in the home, it's actually a standard that goes way beyond our home. So there's the standard of treating our children with dignity and respect so that we can then fully expect them to do the same. But The real mileage on this comes outside of our homes and in their lives for the rest of their lives in terms of the standard they'll hold for all of their relationships with people. That if we can help our kids get used to the idea that they should be treated with kindness, they will not tolerate relationships where they are not treated well by others. 
And that's really the payoff we are looking for. They learn to stand up for themselves. Stand up for themselves, expect to be treated well, expect to treat other people well, and to settle for nothing less. Well, if you put it that way, I'm really rethinking how I do things at home. (laughs) And next week, we'll have special guest author Pooja Lakshman joining us to talk about her new book, What is Real Self-Care for Parents? I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.